When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Leo, are we doing that I, thing Actually, with the- Abu, can the podcast wait? I'm in the middle of some calibrations. Welcome to Lore Party, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and universes behind some of our favorite video games. My name is Leo. And my name's Abu. And today we're joined, once again, by Kevin. What's up? (laughs) What up? Guys, the Mass Effect pod squad is back. By popular demand, I hear, too, right? (laughs) That's right, that's right. Yeah, I'm so excited. We haven't done a Mass Effect episode in months. We left off with a lot on the table. And I'm so, so looking forward to getting back into it. Let's talk about today, because today we have an incredibly fun topic to talk about, because we're going to be talking about one of the best characters in Mass Effect, period. Kind of the best characters, period, period. Because, like, I still remember how cool Garrus is. We're talking about Garrus. I still (laughs) remember, surprise, spoiler alert, we're talking about Garrus. (laughs) Years after playing this game, years later, I still remember how cool Garrus is. And I still remember having that feeling of, I see a cutscene, Garrus comes on and says something totally badass, and I walk away like, God, he's so cool. If only I was more like him. Yeah, I mean, Garrus's Batman arc, it's cliche to say (laughs) that Garrus became Batman, but he goes through a Batman arc. Yeah is one of the most iconic stories in gaming, in my opinion, at least in my personal experience with video games in the last 20 plus years. Garrus' story is one that has stuck with me since the day I first played it. So before we get too ahead of ourselves and get way too excited and start geeking out about (laughs) Garrus, Mm -hmm. I think we should back up and start at the beginning of Garrus' life and talk a little bit about his upbringing, because that really defines the type of person, the type of adult that Garrus becomes and the type of person that is introduced to Shepard for the first time on the Citadel. Totally. So if we're talking about kind of how he was raised, what kind of strikes me about this, so he he grows up on Palavin, right? And I saw a few places that like not a lot is known about the first few years of his life, but ultimately he entered the public service at age 15, which is sort of the, you know, the civil duty. Like I know we have, uh, I have friends in, uh, in Scandinavia and the different countries in that area, and they all kind of serve time, uh, whether it's like in the military or the police, and that's just part of society. So he kind of does that like everybody does that. Yeah, it's the very tried and true Turian way. Right, right. He grows up on Palavin, he grows up around other Turians in Turian society, and he does exactly what the rest of them do, enter public service at age 15. That doesn't necessarily mean military, It can be some sort of administrative role. It can be some sort of support role. But in Garrus's case, it does actually become a military role. He joins the military, the Turian military. And by all accounts, he excels. Yeah, I saw this term, 
ferociously competent. Like, he's, he's so, so good that everybody just kind of acknowledges that he's amazing. And he really stood out, I saw, in like tracking units and some of the covert kind of skills that attracts the attention of Spectre, the sort of behind-the-scenes shadow mm-hmm. group that's all classified and moves in the shadows. Um, but uh, there, there's a problem, right? Exactly. And Kevin, I cannot wait to hear your take on this. <laughs> but what happens is Garris, his name gets floated as a potential Spectre candidate. The problem that comes up is that his dad, who's extremely by the books, is extremely disciplined, follows all the rules, has never smoked within 20 feet of a building in his life, decides to block Garris's Spectre candidacy because he doesn't like Spectres. He doesn't like the extra legal privileges that Spectres get to basically operate outside the law or at least in that weird sort of gray area around the law just to get the job done. And I remember, yeah, I want to hear, so Kevin, uh, when you learned about that or sort of when you heard about that in the game or even now, uh, kind of how did that resonate with you? I'm kind of annoyed because (laughs) here's the deal. Here's the deal. You have probably one of the most successful military He's a military prodigy. That's what he is. He is a military prodigy. And just because his dad doesn't like that a specter doesn't have to go through bureaucracy, I mean, what a dick dad. I mean, come on. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, here's the deal. Your kid is about to become one of the most well-respected military individuals on, in the entire known galaxy with special privileges and overall uh, the entire he, – he, he has – The prestige. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he literally gets to have access to anything, anything in terms of military investigations or just investigations in general. He's, he is – a super cop. He is Batman. I mean, there he is. He's Batman again. He's space Batman. That's what he is. He ends up becoming space Batman anyway, but this is like a legal space Batman. Right. It's like he's Superman instead of Batman if he's a Spectre. But that's the whole thing with his dad is his dad doesn't like the whole idea of Spectres. The fact that there's a legal version of space Batman, he doesn't like that. He wants every Batman to follow the same laws that every everyday cops do. And I think that is just wrong i mean first off this is your kid Ooh, interesting we'll real. get into that we're gonna get into the whole vigilante justice with oh Archangel yeah oh, we're oh, gonna we're oh, gonna debate we'll, this we'll but. go into this but first <laughs> let's talk about this dad because i mean i'll give you I'm gonna, I'm gonna end this in one thing here this is your kid man your kid's gonna succeed you want your kid to succeed but no this asshole's like nah i'm gonna make my kid work with old dad at the c-sec yeah that's what we're gonna i mean come on really <laughs> yeah yeah well that's that's a take What's interesting, Leo, you actually brought this up before we started recording. Garris was sort of like shrug about the whole situation. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's so, you know, this is a story we've heard before of like the parent going, no, you're going to follow in your father's footsteps. You know, like I did it this way. Your, your granddad did it this way. I don't know why all these people get Southern accents, but that's the way it works <laughs> effectively you know, I have this kind of prescribed path for you and you're going to take this path. And it's so easy then to write a character like Garrus to get angry and to get kind of frustrated and no, dad, I'm going to do it my way. But Garrus is chill about it. He's like, yeah, all right. And apparently Garrus claims that he was sort of one of a thousand candidates or one of a very large number of candidates. Mm -hmm. So he kind of is dismissive of the whole thing. And even subsequently, 
he kind of explains he doesn't regret not having that opportunity, which is just interesting. It's kind of cool that within Garrus's history, he's able to look back and go, you know, things happen the way they were supposed to. Yeah, he definitely doesn't feel as strongly about it as Kevin does. <laughs> uh, and he ultimately, like you were saying, decides to just, I, I suppose, settle down is the wrong word, but he decides to join CSEC and go to the Citadel and work with his father at CSEC, where obviously they continue to butt heads and not get along. One thing I wanted to ask both of you, though, Garrus mentions to Shepard at one point in the game, he actually might mention it multiple times, he says that he's a pretty bad Turian. Do you think that's true? Or do you think Garrus is Turian through and through? All right. So here's the thing about Turians. Turians are very bureaucratic. So for them, it's all about government. It's all about um, following the rules. You do, you know, it's, it, they're very also structured in terms of their society is very... Um, it's very boxy, if that makes any sense. Like, you fit in this little hole here. You're the one who's doing this. You're going to be doing that. That's your role. Yeah, Turian society is a meritocracy. You climb the ranks by essentially proving yourself, and everyone has a place in society, and they all fit into the puzzle piece that is Turian society. You have your role. It's important in its scope, and ambition is actually looked down on in Turian society. You're not supposed to try and climb the ladder. Yeah, and that's why his dad doesn't like Spectres, because it's the complete opposite of what their entire civilization's structure is based on. Yeah. What about you, Leo? Do you have any thoughts on whether Garrus is a good Turian or a bad Turian? He is a poor Terry. No, he... <laughs> I, I think... Garrus is interesting. I get the impression that he is through and through a Turian, but I think that he's taken his focus away from kind of greater society and he's focusing more on the discipline and the you know because because even this little excerpt says uh strict discipline work ethic they're willing to do what needs to be done and they always follow through they're not easily spurred to violence but when conflict is inevitable they understand the concept of total war like they go all out they they don't like eradicate species but they cripple them so significantly that they don't end up having to worry about additional fights. Right, knock them out in round one. And I think about those scenes where uh, Garrus is talking about these things that I think we see as anti-Turian, things like, I'm going to kill him, you know? And Shepard's like, yo, is that necessary? Do you really have to? <laughs> yeah. that's a, that's a, you're a little crazy right now. And he's going, well, this is what has to be done, you know? And so it it's these sort of echoes of broad trends within Garrus's psychology that makes me think he is Turian through and through. He's just he's broken away from the the hive mind a little bit. He's not necessarily accepting the red tape that other people put up, but he's putting up his own red tape and saying, like, I'm not gonna kill him slowly, even though that's what he deserves. I'm gonna kill him quickly because that's what should be done, right? Right. I mean, he's got his own moral compass and he strictly adheres to it. To a fault, I think. I honestly think to a fault, he believes yeah. in his own moral compass and believes that is the absolute truth when it may not be. And I think throughout the story, as his character evolves and as he matures, Shepard has a huge part in showing him that his way is probably not the only way and probably not the best way all the time. Yeah. I do think the reason Garrus butts heads with his father, though, is 
a mix of what both of you guys said. I think he does have a certain sense of public service, like oh, yeah. at least in the self-sacrificial sense, like he's willing to give up his own life for his own comfort for the mm-hmm. greater good. All of those are very Turian qualities. Those are all things that every Turian and Turian society believes in. I think what sets Garrus apart and what puts him at odds with his father and other pe- other Turians is the fact that he's so emotional, so hot-headed. I mean, his whole Archangel Batman phase <laughs> is him just getting angry at CSEC, quitting his job and deciding he's going to go to Omega, one of the most dangerous places in the galaxy, and essentially declare war on some of the most dangerous people in the galaxy. You know, that's a very hot-headed, not calculated thing to do. But even that is not, this, this isn't his personal stake. Like, this isn't a place where he grew up and he wants to fight the criminals that killed his parents, a la Batman. Exactly. You know? Yeah, even that isn't, like, in the service of the public good. Yeah. Yeah, he's going to this place that needs something like that. He's going to this place that is known <laughs> to be, like, a hotbed of crime and thugs and murderers and assassins. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to go there and I'm going to make a difference for the people of that place. And it is, I think, you know, self-indulgent. I don't think he's doing it altruistically, but it's certainly not a personal revenge story. It's certainly not him going after someone, which he, you know, does later. But the point is, it's still serving some greater purpose and some greater good. And he still sets up, uh, like rules for himself. Even when he is Archangel, he's trying not to kill civilians. He's trying not to hurt anybody who isn't actively like a killer or a thug, you know? Right. Now, here's what I want to add to that. Think about what you just said. You just said he filled a role, and that is very Turian right there. He filled a cookie-cutter position that he is good at, that he's been trained to do, to be the hero. That's basically what I mean. Think about that. Well, think, <laughs> <laughs> well, think about that. Literally, that's the what hero he Omega is. deserves. <laughs> it, <laughs> that's what he needed. Like that's what they that's what they needed, and that's what he became. And he said, "Okay, I'm going to fill the role, and I'm going to do that." And he did. And like you said, you, I don't think I agree. I don't think it's necessarily all too altruistic, but I think it's definitely him saying, "Oh, they need this here. I do that. I'm good at that. I should do that. I think that'd be a good idea. Let's do that." And he does it, and he does a pretty decent job until you know the last five minutes but yeah he until it all pretty, goes to shit <laughs> yeah but he saw an opportunity for something he's good at and he said okay there we go so clearly we're all very hungry to get into this archangel arc before we <laughs> sink our teeth into that and really dig into all of the weird moral discussions to have around that piece of garris's life i do i do want to have one final discussion about his relationship with his father Because to bring it back around, I think his upbringing, his blocked Spectre candidacy, and then him joining CSEC and butting heads with his father because of his, like, Turian but not Turian attitudes all result in this, like, very tough love relationship with his dad. I think ultimately, I think they still care about each other, and I'm curious to know if you guys agree. I think they both have a hard time showing it, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, and again, this maybe this gets towards towards Archangel. But there's the call where he like calls his dad and it's it's such a like just on paper even it's such a beautiful moment because he's sort of saying like, hey, I think this is uh, this is going down. And his dad's like, no, like finish, you know, take care of them the way I know you can and then come hang right, out. With I trained me. you. I taught you how to do this. Yeah. Like you've got this. And then, of course, like 
Shepard shows up and everything gets fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. But the point is, you know, that it's it's like in those final moments, they always say that someone's character can be shown the most and the truth is shown the most in our final moments or in these moments of extreme crisis. Well, in this moment where Garrus is like, oh man, I might really be cooked. He decides to reach out to his dad and that's really sweet. Right. His first instinct is to call his dad, you know, even though they're estranged. Like at that point, they've had a falling out and they haven't been talking for however many years, you know? Yeah. And when he's faced with his own death and thinks it's all over, he decides his last act on Earth, or I guess on Omega, <laughs> needs to be to call his dad. So I agree. It's a very touching moment. It takes oh, yeah. place in the comic book. And it's an incredible insight into their relationship because there's no sentimentality on the phone call itself. It's all in the subtext. And you understand that they both deeply care for each other. They want to re repair the relationship that's been broken over many, many years of arguments. And I agree. It's a very touching moment. And I think it's a very humanizing moment. Hey there, Lore Party listeners. Michael here. I just want to take a few moments and encourage you to listen to my show here on Lore Party. It's called Minigame. Every episode, I take about five to ten minutes and explore a unique perspective on games as small as her story or as big as Wolfenstein or Star Wars. While the other guys like to talk about lore and history and game universes, I like to focus on things like plot and character and theme. Now, if you disagree with my opinion or my perspective, I would love to hear your voice. Join in the discussion at our subreddit at r slash lore party. Thank you very much for listening. And now, back to the show. Okay, so I won't put it off any longer. Let's talk about Omega. <laughs> Let's talk about the Archangel phase. Yes! <laughs> Let's talk about motherfucking oh, yeah. space weapons! Oh, yeah. Turian Batman. So to set it up, we did already briefly set it up, but after Sovereign's attack on the Citadel, Garrus goes back to being a CSEC officer and realizes that nobody believes the Reaper threat is still there. Everyone's like, cool, we took out Sovereign. We're good. It's Gucci. Let's all call it a day. And he's like, no. It's not Gucci. Right. Yeah, quote, Garrus, Vicarian. It's not Gucci. <laughs> it's not Gucci. <laughs> Shepard, it's so, not Gucci. <laughs> uh, in classic Garrus fashion, he quits CSEC, flips him the bird, and decides to hunt down this guy that he's been trying to hunt down, and that leads him to Omega. Right. And that's where he decides to plant roots and essentially declare war on all the gangs on Omega, which is in the Terminus system outside of the... Citadel and Council's jurisdiction. That's important. Mm -hmm. That's going to come up later. And he decides, okay, I'm going to be here on the fringe of the known universe in the darkest, most dangerous place on Earth. And I'm going to single-handedly take on these incredibly dangerous people. So here's the big question then. Was that the right move for Garrus to make? I think it's kind of acknowledged that he did a lot out of anger and bitterness. It's Again, it's funny, the idea of him like, like, fuck the rules. I'm going to go help people. 
like as as his like rebellion. <laughs> like I'm gonna go be a public servant over there. You know, it's like yeah. I mean, like that wow. really is Garrus's mantra. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. the rules. I'm gonna help people. Yeah, it's and it's it's awesome, and that's why I like him. But I think, um, it, it, I don't think he made the decision for the right reasons. But ultimately, we can't deny the fact that it put him it put him on the map for Shepard to then go find him and. We can all agree with knowing the full scale of the story of Mass Effect. That that's a good thing. Um, versus like if he did the, if he pulled a Yoda and like went to some planet and just like hung out by a lake for the rest of his life. It's like, well, no one would find <laughs> Damn, him. Damn, the Yoda shade. Yeah. Wow. Listen, wow, I mean... Yoda abandoned. Never forget. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know enough about Star Wars lore to go down that path. So, Kevin, what do you think? I mean, was... Did Omega need a Batman? What do I think? I think that it was an odd decision because if he really cared about the Reapers, who gives a shit about Omega? That's a great point. It's a good point. I feel like that's the only thing about this whole Omega thing that I thought was kind of weird. I think really the main reason why he's doing what he's doing is this is his. I know in the first game, you know, he's. He's kind of a little bit out of his comfort zone, but not too much. He's still, you know, under CSEC. He's still doing stuff. But I think this is the first real time where he really just, like you said, Abu, he just flips him the bird and he's like, I'm out. I'm doing my own thing. This is the first time he's really doing his own thing. I think it was a little exciting for him. And I think he kind of was like, oh, wow, this is kind of cool. I don't have to, I don't have a bureaucracy. I don't have anybody telling me what to do. I can do my own thing. And I think that to him, it was part of it was still the Turian aspect of like, ooh, there's a job. I, they need, they need, they need me in space, Gotham. But I still think that that's what he, I still think it was kind of a freedom aspect of it as well. Yeah, I agree. I think there was a little bit of like, personal vendetta against the idea of bureaucracy like i'm a lone soldier i can operate on my own and actually make a difference and prove to people that this is the way to make a difference i think there was a tiny bit that might not be his sole motivation and it definitely wasn't the driving force behind his actions but i think there was a tiny tiny bit of like self-indulgence in there where he just wanted to prove that this was the way to get shit done like, let me do whatever the fuck I want, and I will show you results. Oh, yeah. I mean, again, totally. I think <laughs> it's the guy who, like, throws the glass at the wall, who's like, I know this isn't going to solve my problems, but man, it's going to feel really good. Yeah. I think the question of the Reapers is actually sort of a weird Mass Effect to Mass Effect to time transition plot hole problem with all of the characters, not just Garrus. Yeah. And I think it's excusable to allow Garrus to sort of go back to his life. Like, what is he really going to do to convince people the Reapers are coming outside of just be like the Rorschach guy holding the sign right. saying the end is nigh? You right, know, right, like right. there's not much he can do to convince a completely ambivalent galaxy that the end is coming. So I think he does what he can in his own small way in a part of the galaxy that he sees as a major problem. One thing we haven't mentioned yet and haven't brought up is the fact that he's not alone in this endeavor. Right. He right, forms right. a squad. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, in spite of his best efforts, Space Batman gets a crew, right? And it is funny that someone who clearly seems to enjoy not having these kind of rules and structures, you know, or at least ones imposed upon him, ends up building a team, you know, and then giving them 
kind of guidelines and pushing them and encouraging them to do stuff like it's it's cool i mean it i think it obviously it, it uh enables him to do a lot on omega but of course also it ends up being his downfall i mean that's only that's only his that's his turian nature though you know like that's that's what he is yeah i think the squad was a huge misstep for garris though i think this squad and his time as archangel on omega is the first time garris fails as a leader because he's in charge of this squad he's now responsible for other people's lives which is a position that he really hasn't formally been in up to this point in his life now he's in charge of this entire operation and they start to make money. There's a point where they have enough money to where some of the squad is like, maybe we quit while we're ahead and we just stop doing this. And we try and settle down with the, the credits we've made. And we've made a small enough difference on Omega that things are slightly better. We should be happy with that. And Garrus is like, fuck no, things are not Gucci. <laughs> right. <laughs> he, God, we he loves that this. word. He says that word. <laughs> he says Gucci like 14 times per scene it's excessive <laughs> i wonder how much he's being paid um but all of that is to say that i think this is his first failure as a leader like he had to have known that they were all going to die and his the, his squad's lives were in his hands and were in his like were his responsibility so if i recall he started off with just kind of lone wolf antics kind of picking off people and then he started inspiring other people to do the same or to have the same sort of impulse and the same sort of drive. My thought is, okay, let's say he doesn't. Let's say he doesn't organize. Let's say he doesn't lead. And people are inspired to do their own thing. And then that just becomes chaos, right? Like by organizing the people who are inspired to take action against the crime, he simplifies the conflict so that there isn't more casualties, right? Like that's a natural byproduct of creating clear sides, us versus them allows us to say mm, okay that's we're going to really good point we're going to have these we're going to have we're going to butt heads with the hornet's nest and it's not just hornets everywhere in the middle of town <laughs> right like yeah and I, and I don't disagree i think that obviously as a leader he failed to take steps in order to prevent uh especially when people were saying hey maybe we should be done now like okay sense that the tide has turned like sense that the momentum is shifting and do something about that or work with it. Don't just plow ahead on the same kind of mantra and and kind of a credo that you've been using so far. Exactly. I think that speaks to my earlier point about him be, being a stickler about his moral compass right? and believing that his way is the only way and it's the best way and it's the right way. And I think this is the first time where he maybe realizes that, oh shit, maybe like my one path was not the only path I could have taken here, and there may have been a better alternative. Uh, I think this whole part of his life on Omega was a huge learning lesson for him to look at the bigger picture and look beyond himself. Now, I would still add to this that I still don't think he's a bad leader because of this. I mean, one fuck up compared to like, what, how many like thousands of things he's done military-wise? I mean, I don't think that necessarily means he's a bad leader, but I think, like you said, it's a good learning opportunity because every good leader is going to is going to fuck up and a real good leader is one that can learn from it and that can you know better themselves and be the best leader that they can be not one a bad leader is one that would say all right i give up and for a second there garris almost did and then 
Shepard was like, hey, man, get your shit together. This is what it's all about. And Garrus is like, oh, wow, yeah, you're right. And then it, that's kind of, you know what I mean? No, but like, that's literally what it is. I just imagine like Mark Amir saying, hey, man, get your shit together. This is what it's all about. Bro, it's so Gucci. Come on. <laughs> just, just, just have Morty's voice. Yeah, Garrus, uh, just get your shit together. It's all about man. Like that's, no, 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 that's no, really what I can hear. No, you got to take your take your advice and just shove shove it up your your ass, Shepard. <laughs> you, 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 you know what, Garris? You, you got to get your shit together. Put it in oh a bag God. and get it together. Maybe I do regret getting the Mass Effect <laughs> Pod Squad back together. <laughs> <laughs> I do agree that this is not indicative of Garris being a bad leader overall, and it's just a good learning lesson for him. Yeah. I think we do need to touch on the second big learning lesson in Mass Effect 2, and that's his loyalty mission, where Sedonis comes back into play. This mission is part of why I looked up the voice actor for Garrus, because it's just so good. Like, it's so rich with emotion, and there are such so many good moments of just Garrus saying something that he clearly is just like, and then I'm going to do this. And Shepard being like, whoa man are you are you okay like do we need to talk about something because it's just so like no what are you talking about like bro bro, are we gucci (laughs) god Uh, but (laughs) and garris is but he's so focused on his mission and he's so focused on what he thinks has to be done that he doesn't even take the time to look at what he's saying or think about what he's saying as he's saying it to shepherd he's like hey guy who's generally pretty good uh i want to like skin this guy alive Let's go. And then he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. wait. Uh, can we talk about that? Um, I want to say I let him kill Sidonis, but I, I waited a little while. Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't do the, I think you can do it pretty early on. Um, yeah. I want to say I waited. Kevin, I have a feeling I know which route you went. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I let him die. I'm pretty sure I let Garrus just pop that guy. Because, <laughs> I, I, I mean, he is, from, from, from my perspective, right now, even if I would replay the mission, I'd let him kill him because what the hell, dude? I mean, they would have, to be honest, I still think Garrus had a pretty decent shot if they did not, if he didn't, if he didn't like, you know, betray them, then they, I, the whole point is they lost because they were betrayed. If they didn't get betrayed, I mean, I still think they would have been a ton, done a pretty and it is, great job. And you know and what? And it is his betrayal that led, his betrayal in particular, that led to everyone dying. This wasn't like, Oh, he betrayed him, and they, 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 uh, they lost some ammunition or whatever. Uh, Sidonis betrayed them, and everyone died except for Garrus. Garrus is the only remaining person on this on this like crew. But I've also I recently saw I watched at the scene where Shepard's standing between Garrus's uh, scope and Sidonis, and he's kind of explaining it and talking it, talking it through, and. I can totally see if someone let Sedonis live. Like I totally get it. Well, well. Um, wait a minute here. Wait a minute here. What good? Does, what good? I'm not done. What good does this guy have to bring to anything to the galaxy? I mean, think about it. If if all these guys survived, they could have all been a part of Shepard's crew. I would have had some great little space robins on my little Batmobile <laughs> ship. Okay. I mean, this would have been a great crew and. <laughs> What the hell does this guy have to do? I mean, he ain't going to help anybody. He's just a drunk shithead moping. I mean, get rid of him. I mean, to be fair, if I can argue the more empathetic side of this, 
Sedonis is racked with guilt about betraying his team. He didn't want to do it. He was forced to do it. And he says as much to Shepard. When Shepard is talking to him and blocking Garrus's scope, Sedonis is explaining that he's racked with guilt, that he, you know, the reason he's a drunkard is because he can't live with himself. And he hates what he did and he hates himself for it. And if you allow him to live, he immediately goes to CSEC and turns himself in. Right. I mean, yeah, but the CSEC doesn't do shit. They're just like, okay, <laughs> whatever. Like, you're on Omega. What the fuck do we Which care? is so amazing. Like, that's incredible writing from Bioware. Oh, How yeah. thematic is that? Is that CSEC, CSEC's entire role in this is just a fucking fail. Talk about red tape being a fucking piece of shit. Like, Garrus is mad at CSEC for all the red tape. And then Sedona says, like, hey, I got a bunch of people killed. And CSEC's like, well, sorry, we have all this red tape. We can't do nothing about it. Yeah, yeah. Like I said earlier, they have no jurisdiction in Omega. And they're like, well, all of this murder happened on Omega and we can't do anything. So we, you're fine. You're free to go. <laughs> and here's the thing. Here's the thing about that. Like, the guy wants to opt out anyway. All right, I got a one quick pony. It won't hurt. Like, let's. that's why I picked the one I did. Because <laughs> I was like, whatever, whatever. He's He doesn't want to be here. He's already, he, does, he can't, you said it himself. He can't live with himself. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm honestly, this would have changed the gameplay, of course, because the loyalty missions, you, regardless of which route you go, you're supposed to get the lo- loyalty. But it would have been way cooler if, if you let Sedonis live and then Garrus gets the news that CSEC let him off the hook and did nothing. It would have been amazing to have a confrontational scene with Garrus where he's like, I fucking told you. Oh my God. This is what yeah. I've been saying since the beginning that CSEC cannot get shit done. Shepard, I'm so mad at you. You didn't let me finish the job. Oh. Yeah, but then, but then you'd fail the loyalty mission. That would right away fail that loyalty mission and Garrus would be dead. Right. Like that, that would, that would make problems happen gameplay wise. But that would have been such a beautiful, juicy, like, story moment. I almost have a feeling that was potentially how it was originally written. That's such a good idea. That's such a good idea. Is it too late for DLC for Mass Effect 2? When Bioware makes that Mass Effect remake. Yes, please, Bioware, please. That, it it ties together so many elements of Garrus' character. That's awesome. Oh, that'd be great. Can you just fix Andromeda, please? (laughs) (laughs) Follow-up request. (laughs) Also, add in the word Gucci to all of Garrus' lines, please. (laughs) Really important. (laughs) Fix Andromeda number two. Number one, Gucci. (laughs) Well, that about wraps it up. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us to grow the show. And be sure to connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at lore underscore party. You can also find us on Reddit at r slash lore party. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.